Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to episode 54. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Thank you so much for being here. If you are a longtime listener, welcome, welcome, welcome back. And if this is your first episode listening to The Science of Motherhood, Thank you for tuning in. We have a very, very special guest today. It's actually part two of her discussion. So if you missed out on her first chat with us, um, I would highly recommend going back to episode 46 first and then you'll get a little bit of context. We did a lot of, I guess, building foundations with this particular guest. Um, So maybe hit pause and jump back over to episode 46. Before we go into that episode, you would probably have seen if you follow us on social media at Fill Your Cup, we are a village of postpartum doulas that service all across Victoria and have recently added to that wonderful doula village. So a big hello to those new members. And we will be servicing not only Melbourne's metro, northeast and west, but also along the fringes. So Geelong and Mornington as well. So that's very exciting. If you are a mum-to-be or a new mama and you would love a world where you got to rest and nap during the day and be served beautiful, hot, nourishing meals and be heard and listened and for someone to pop your washing on and get it all dried and folded away, then fill your cup is definitely the service for you. So as postpartum doulas, we do all of that um, for you. We offer single sessions where we come to your home for three hours and get all of that done. And we also have six and 10 week programs available as well, where you get continuity of care, true continuity of care, which we know is just the gold standard for women's health um, and postpartum care. So if that interests you at all, please head over to I Fill Your Cup, that's all one word, dot com, and we have got a list of all the um, offerings that we've got over there. If you are not in Victoria or Hobart, because we are also in, in Hobart, Tasmania as well, You can still get yourself some nourishing food and some beautiful nurturing products. We've got our dark chocolate and goji lactation cookie mix, our creamy coconut dal. Both are super high in protein. The dal contains organic chicken bone broth as well. So that is just 
an amazing product first in market to have that. And we've also got our postpartum recovery sits, which has got seven organic botanicals in it, you know, antimicrobial, antifungal and anti-inflammatory properties with those. If you can't decide between the three of them, that's okay. Because we've made something called the mother load and that includes all three of those wonderful products all together. That particular product retails and because it's the new year and we have all survived Christmas once again, I am going to give our listeners a very sneaky discount if you are listening right now and you would love to pop over to our website and try one of our products head on over and just use the discount code fill my cup all one word fill my cup and you can get 10% off any of those products so without further ado we have got Dr. Laura Gonche back on the podcast. It was a very, very popular first part on episode 46, where we laid the foundations of sleep. Now, sleep has always been a very kind of controversial and thought-provoking topic for our listeners and our FYC families. And so we as you have probably gathered, if you're a long-time listener, like to debunk the myths and provide you with evidence-based information. And so that includes things like throwing wake times out the window because we understand that from a physiological perspective, not all children have the same wake windows. It is, the, we know from the research that the band of normal, quote unquote, for an infant sleep can be anywhere between 11 to 17 hours in a 24-hour period. So the concept of, you know, trying to make a child who doesn't require a lot of sleep, you know, down that 11-hour kind of end of the spectrum, trying to force them to sleep through the day just might not actually work and therefore has knock-on effects for their night sleep. So you would also know if you're a long-time listener that we are huge advocates for the Possums program. If you're not familiar with that, you can head over to possumsonline.com and they have a wonderful resource called Milk and Moon, which is essentially an online program that parents and caregivers can access and it gives them a ton of well-researched and evidence-based information, video presentations around feeding, both breastfeeding and bottle feeding, as well as sleep and mood. So, you know, the infant physiology and, and, and real expectations of, of what to expect during those early newborn days. We love it so much that we provide all of our FYC families who engage our services with a six-month subscription to Milk and Moon because it is such a wonderful resource. They also have a well-established, very safe and curated 
parent hub where you can jump on and ask questions and not slip down that kind of crazy Google rabbit hole that can make parents feel very anxious. And and I know for a fact that Laura <laughs> very much aligns herself with that kind of philosophy and evidence-based facts. And today we brought her back on the podcast because we wanted to take more of a deep dive into a typical family journey, you know, through realistic sleep improvements, you know, what to expect, how long does it take for particular behaviours to kind of realign and I guess, you know, how your partner can be involved in this process as well because we find more often than not, you know, mamas are at home trying to get bubbies to sleep and it's really important that you do have that kind of support system around you. So if you haven't listened to episode 46, just a little bit about Laura. She is a French Chilean mum of a daughter and two cats. She lives in Japan, which is just like this amazing combination. She's a scientist, a holistic sleep coach and a wife in a multicultural family and a woman who wants to empower women. This is what I really, really love about Laura. Originally, she was actually a geneticist and then she moved to Melbourne, Australia to complete her PhD in human sleep physiology. So this this woman knows her stuff. Like she has a PhD in sleep physiology. These are the people that we need to be listening to, not someone who's just done like a one-week online course and got like some crazy certificate off the internet. Laura kind of describes in her first episode how after she became a mum, she found that there was a lot of conflicting information about science and um, baby well-being and she was really triggered by this and so she talks about the fact that she wanted women and mums to be informed so they can make the right decision for their specific needs and so she trained as a holistic sleep coach um, and you know I guess her philosophy is that it is not about you know mainstream sleep training and crying it out that is absolutely the polar opposite to what Laura is is all about. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I'm sure you're going to get so much value from it. If you'd like to follow Laura on Instagram, her handle is Science for All Women, and she's got lots of amazing, helpful tips and information on her social media. So feel free to get over there and give her a follow. So without further ado, here is Dr. Laura Gonsch. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It is Dr. Laura Gonsch again, part two people, buckle up. We have had some seriously great feedback from part one. If you've been lying under a rock somewhere, please go back to that first episode, which I would have spoken about in the introduction. And today we are going to take a big, deep dive and really leverage off Laura's expertise and experience. So we are going to talk more about some case studies. So right in there, we want to know what is the typical kind of stuff that you are seeing with clients, Laura, and 
how are you assisting them through that progress? So I think we've spoken offline. We're going to do two kind of main case studies. One is going to be like an infant below one, and then we're going to do more like tackling toddlers <laughs> because those two things are very, very different. As we've spoken about previously, sleep needs for children can be so different at the, at a single age group, you know, as we spoke about, it was like anywhere between, what was that, like 11 hours to 17 hours in a 24-hour period is totally normal. So if anyone tells you any different, you can just do that classic smile and nod and move on. <laughs> but then when it comes to toddlers, that's a kettle of fish that I'm glad we're through that process at the moment. Laura, where are we starting? Should we just dive into below one? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, Renee. Hi, Mika. Thank you so much for having me again. I listened to the part one while cooking and it gave me so much good energy. I was having a crappy day and I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this was so much fun. I cannot wait to do it again. And then we're doing it again. So it's really, it's really great. And I'm glad people found it useful and let's, uh, let's give them more. Yes, absolutely. Because I think that's the thing. Like, I think the first episode was so beautifully done in terms of all the overarching concepts and philosophies and your values. And I know that the soundbite that we used on Instagram in terms of that gratification that we so desperately need and want as as parents, and then it just just does not happen. It does not happen. So, um, Great feedback. Let's dive into this case study. All right. Where are we starting? So the first thing, uh, and this is not a case study, it's more kind of like a reality check, if I could oh, say okay. it like that. Right. Um, I would say that, uh, to be really honest, it is kind of rare to do a lot of changes below six months. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the first thing that I want to really kind of say is that when I work with families with children under six months old, a lot of the time it's more going to be like, okay, what's realistic about mm-hmm. a child's sleep? And we really have to go there and, and you know, start with what, what you were just talking about just now, like, what are the total sleeps? Because when I tell you that I, get, that I got the two two spectrums, like, obviously I have, you know, that's the most common. It's like, is my baby sleeping enough? But I also have had the parents who are like, is my baby sleeping too much? And it's like, you know, all the other parents are like crazy and and like, how can you say that? I want my baby to sleep. (laughs) And you're like worried about it. Um, So we really have to start there. And and it is a lot. And you would you two would know about it, you know, as doulas, like it is a lot of reassurance. It is a lot of like, okay what is normal and and basically like on my on my instagram i say that a lot but for me normal equals diversity like that's it like we really have to go back to we're humans and we have such different experiences and the babies are the same and we really need especially in those 6 months to first take a breather and be like okay i don't need to have everything perfect the first few days the first few weeks the, the first few months and I feel like another thing, and again, I feel like you guys would have even more experience with that, but it's like when you're a parent, you're like, 
uh, how can I survive one year is so much it's so long like I needed mm. to get better right now but it goes much faster than we think after becoming a parent like I, I think about it you know if I would want to have another child I'm not sure I would worry until like three years old you know it's like oh the first <laughs> three years like you know <laughs> I don't know if you guys, do you guys agree with this? Like after becoming. I don't know. Mick has had two. So how do you feel about it, Mika? No, I agree. I think that's some of the beauty of second time around is you can just take a deep breath and you know how quick it goes. And I think having done it before, you have a bit more confidence as well. And it's sort of like, I don't know, for me, I'm not worried about meeting milestones. I'm like, I know they'll get there. And I think you've had a really great attitude too, Renee, when we talked about toilet training and it's like, Maybe our kids are behind the average or behind all their peers, but like, you know, they will get there and mm. just enjoying the ride, I think. Um, yeah. I yeah. definitely agree. So exactly. And so for the it sleep, it's the same. And for me, the first few months, it's really important to nurture the bond, nurture the mom, uh, get the mom to trust what she's doing and trust her, so that she would trust her baby too. So like uh, it's hard because with the social media, there's a lot of good stuff. You learn a lot, but also you're like bombarded by like what it's supposed to look like. Look at the, all those amazing moms who do X, Y, Z while being a full-time mom, while working, while, I don't know, having a side hustle. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um <laughs> And it's and it, just not realistic, it's not right? Realistic. It's not realistic. So we really need to refocus on their unique family, their unique baby, and they need to kind of watch their babies. So one of the things that is surprising, and I was uh, talking to an, another client literally yesterday, is like, is, you know, should I stop the bad habits? Is this normal? Is this mm. my main measurement of good sleep is the baby's mood? That's it. Like, I'm not counting the hours. I'm not, um, we talked a little bit about the wake windows in part one. I'm not really looking that carefully um, unless I see signs that maybe, you know, we're really off of the rhythm, which is rare mm. because, again, if you follow a little bit of what your baby's doing, um, you're not going to be so off. I don't have that many clients who really come from, you know, sleep training, mini like meaning like rigid schedules and stuff like that. Um, but look at your child's mood. Look at when they wake up from a night or the naps. Um, how do they wake up? How do they feel? Um, again, here, I want to be extra careful because there are those exceptions. There are those kids who will wake up screaming every single time, whatever they sleep, however much they sleep. But in a lot of cases, um, if they wake up unhappy, it might be that they need a little longer sleep. If in uh, in the evening, it's always a battle, maybe the evening is a bit too late. And you really readjust like that and kind of find your groove. Another thing, important tip for me is to remember that the, the circadian rhythm, so everything kind of biological telling you about your the timing of sleep, if you think about jet lag, it will take between one and two weeks to set in. So mm. it is important to think that it's not because you change something one day that you're going to see the results immediately. Like that, that's not happening. So I have a lot of parents who are like, we tried to nap that day and, and the night was still the same. It's like, yeah, well, it needs some time to set in, you know, mm -hmm. let's try it for a little longer and then see if there are some other consequences and not. So when you try something it's not immediate. It's not true for you and it's not true for your child. 
Absolutely. If I go to the gym once, doesn't mean I'm running the New York Marathon. Like, it's <laughs> so true. I think with our in-home sessions, we see this time and time again with our mums, and I think it comes from that place of desperation yeah. or want, wanting that gratification straight away because they are not supported enough and they're feeling strung out. So we are always reassuring our clients like it might take more than 24 hours or a weekend to change something. And, you know, we also have that really beautiful, mm. like let's be curious about it rather than, you know, being strict and like this has to work and I need this result. It's like let's just see what happens and we try this. And, um, yeah, so I, I, we see that all the time and it is um, – I think it's it hard is. When you're in the thick of it, but, um, yeah, it is really hard. And that's help. another thing. And I think we said it in the first episode. Like, I don't judge. Like, I know that even if your baby is a unicorn baby objectively and sleeps and wakes up only one time a night, it might still be hard. And, and, you know, you might have breastfeeding issues or you might not breastfeed and have to do a bottle in the middle of the night. And, you, you know, you might not be a morning person. And then suddenly your world is changing around. It is hard in any case. But for me, this is a really important thing. And I think it was really kind of a good thing of being a researcher because I was like, ooh, I'm going to experiment. My life is an experiment. My baby is an experiment Mm. in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Glad you said that. I think that all, you know, sings true. And as I think, I think one of the number one problems is just that the expectations as well that when people go into the newborn period, they either have just this unrealistic expectation of what their baby is, in quote, unquote, supposed to do. And like, you know, Laura, I mentioned in part one, you know, I was totally fine with Eva catnapping every 45 minutes. And I remember that you know, it was difficult, but it was manageable at the time. And not until someone else kind of made mention that, oh, you know, oh, no, 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 you're going to have to fix that, that the alarm bells, you know, started to come off. And I was like, oh my God, there's, there's a problem with my child. But interestingly, after I spoke with you last time, I remember now having a quick, one of those like quick, you know, 10 minute chats with a sleep consultant back in the day who I didn't end up engaging. And it's really funny now that I reflect on it because I distinctly remember the Zoom conversation with her and she was like, okay, so let me know what the problem is. And I was like, my baby's only sleeping for 45 minutes. And she was like, okay, that's really normal. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, and she she could obviously tell that I was seeking an answer. I was seeking a silver bullet to the problem. And she said to me, so um, can I just get like a bit of a, like a gauge on, you know, where you're at? Um, Do you need to return to work soon? And I said, oh no, I've got a year off. And she was like, okay, um, do you have any like pressing kind of meetings or engagements or something that you know, that you need to be keeping to a schedule for whatever reason. And I was like, no. (laughs) Like now I'm looking back going, she's literally sitting there going, Renee, just roll with it. You don't need to be anywhere else except for with your baby. And I remember getting off the call feeling very dissatisfied because I was like, 
hold on a minute, she didn't help me at all thinking I wanted a, a, a list of things to do to fix it. I wanted boxes to tick and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, that was a waste of time. I must find someone else who can give me a list and boxes to tick. And I think people like yourself, Laura, we need to clone you because, and we need to get this message out more that it's absolutely okay for your baby to have whatever sleep pattern it is until it's not working for you, right? Yeah, and this is exactly what I was getting at in the first, you know, when I talked about the mood. So like there will be babies who will need longer naps and can't get it. So, and that's where you want to see like, okay, is this not working with for them? Do I want to experiment with elongating the nap? So like, you know, contact nap, uh, stroller nap, baby carrier nap, whichever can help and then see if that changes their mood. And if it's, if it doesn't, then, you know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, then 45 minutes nap works for my baby. It doesn't need it doesn't mean that it's going to work for all the babies. And then mm-hmm. again, if you watch carefully your baby, are they struggling with the environment? Can they sleep in different environments or not? So like I am not against and I said that in the first episode, I'm not against sleeping in the dark for naps if the baby needs it and it 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 makes their their day easier but this is all you know again really not one size fits all there there are catnappers that feel really great after half an hour nap like and they're completely Mm. fine but again I want people to really look at their babies independently from all the babies around and again I know it's Mm. hard like I've seen the moms with the babies who are just passed out for hours while they're brunching and they don't have to do anything and you know they don't yeah. even have to like move the stroller. Um, <laughs> They've got all limbs free to brunch <laughs> instead of like the foot on the stroller rocking. <laughs> In your arm, eating yes. with one, <laughs> one yes. arm, you know. Uh. So I, I know it's really hard, the unrealistic expectations. And and somehow, like I feel like all the parents that I meet, they always have these these perfect friends, you know, and it's like, but I yeah. but trust me, this is not the majority. Believe me. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone comes to you and, you know, for example, they are a little bit unsettled, the baby's waking unsettled and things like that. So let's say it's a six month old. What are, I guess, some of the um, recommendations that you would make to kind of see if you can make some some positive adjustments Mm -hmm. to their sleeping? Right. So, um, uh, I think the first thing is also going to be, again, observation. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we might have time to talk about it later, but I really want moms to first focus on feeling connected to their child in a sense of um, sometimes you have these these little, it's, I don't know if it's a voice at the back of your head or, you know, a sensation, but I remember looking back in my mothering journey that when when I experimented with something with my child's sleep, it was really like, oh, I feel like this is not quite right. Should I try something else? And I just listened and I, you know, tried. And then I was like, when this happened, I was always surprised because I felt like, oh, actually that worked. That's what she wanted. And and I'm not sure exactly how it works that, you know, we know things, but we actually know things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of moms are scared of that, but this is really the first thing because it's really hard when you're so subjected to whatever's outside 
to hear what's going on with your baby and being like, yeah, okay. I, 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 you know, a lot of people say that my cat nappers is fine, but I can tell he's not fine. So then mm. I need to do something about it because I believe so. And so here it's important because for, for let's say night sleep, and I'm going to say, sorry, it's really hard to talk about all of this in so, so little time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. To get we're just, we're just doing the highlights here. Right, right, right. But I still want moms to trust themselves when they feel like maybe something's not right. And mm. you would hear about that too. So, you know, for example, if a baby systematically wakes hourly, Again, there's going to be exceptions, but most of the time, especially if you're breastfeeding, if you're bed sharing, if you're contact napping and your baby still can never, ever go back to sleep, mm-hmm. I would say I would have strong suspicion for some kind of discomfort. And that's going to be really important. So the first thing I would always do, and this is not my expertise, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not even an IBCLC, you know, I have some knowledge and I have did some certification, but it's important for me to kind of see the red flags. But most mm-hmm. of the time, those red flags are going to be based on the main parents' feelings and thoughts and observations. So another big red flag, I would say, is, for example, if the child refuses to be on their back anytime. It's mm-hmm. suspicious and it can be related to reflux. But the other thing is reflux tend to be a symptom of something else, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the time we kind of have like this, oh, I'll take a medication to hide the thing. But what is it? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Is there some kind of intolerance? Is there some kind of malfunction problem? Mm-hmm. Is is it just that at birth, the baby was really tense and their neck is blocked and, you know, and we really have to remember that also in terms of sleep. It's like anything that can disturb you from falling asleep, you know, like you are not in the perfect position or you stayed on your right too long and you're uncomfortable. We have to imagine that it might happen to our babies too. Like they're not just complaining for nothing, like something might actually be bothering them. But for me here, it's really important that if the mom truly feels like something's not quite right, even if she doesn't know what, I want her to trust herself and be like, okay, I need to find someone who will listen to me now. Yeah. Oh, Um, totally. I remember um, with the whole burping kind of scenario and stuff like that, which I thought was just so tedious. And now I realize that there's absolutely no research that um, supports it whatsoever. That's in another episode with Dr. Pamela Douglas. (laughs) But I distinctly remember it's that thing where like I was lying in bed. I just fed Eva. I thought I had burped her and she was doing like this like, you know, like grizzling type thing. And I was like, and I remember I was like lying there and my husband was like, what's wrong? What's going on? What, what, what's, what's happened to her? And I just like instinctively was like, she needs to be burped. So I just literally like rolled over. She was in the bassinet. She was like super, super young. And I just propped her up, went her like 90 degree kind of, you know, angle. And she just went <laughs> like this. And then she went straight back to sleep. And I was like, okay, back to sleep. And I, I remember my husband going, oh my God, how did you know to do that? And I was like, I don't, I have no idea. It was just something in me that said, yeah, I think she needs to be burped. And that was it. But you can't describe, like, you sound like a raving lunatic if <laughs> you're trying to like describe that to people. You're just like, I don't know. It just is. 
something that mothers just have, I think. Have you had that, Mika? Yeah, I'm just going to jump in as well. I think we see this so often with our clients and personally as well, and I feel like instinctively yeah. they know what feels right and wrong. They'll look at us and ask us and give their power away to, you know, medical professionals that might give them an idea, a different idea, but they say, oh, this feels mm. right and I've been told to do this. And, and I think it's probably a bigger discussion we've got time for today, but I think, you know, in motherhood, it might be the first time that as women we've had, you know, we're living in a very, you know, logical society where we're thinking and we're achieving and we're doing all of these things in a, in a more masculine style world. Um, and when we become mothers, it's like mm. learning to listen and learning to trust that voice that is inside us is can be a journey for some people. And I think that's, you know, when you throw in sleep deprivation and, you know, societal expectations, it's really hard just to stop and go, this might be different from everybody else, but it feels right for me. And that's, yeah, we see that a lot. It's actually beautiful, I think, the awareness around that. Um, but, yeah, I've had moments like that and I've had moments where I've had those thoughts, feelings rather, and then thoughts have jumped in, I should be doing mm. this, I should be doing that. And whenever I let go of that and just you know, call it other podcasts, I can have a day where I'm like, let's just do whatever's easiest because I'm tired or I'm sick. And it just flows. And I see that in our mums too, like when they are, you know, especially with newborns, they're just you know, skin to skin all the time hugging. They just go with the flow a bit more, which often happens the time around. So don't beat yourself up if you first time. It's just flow. And I think there's a calmness element in there. I've gotten off topic a little bit. But, yes, I'm still tuning into that voice and still trying to listen. And I think it's quite amazing. I do think it's a that sixth sense that we just have and we just know Quite what's happening. Right. And yeah. this is this is one of the reasons right why I love the few scientists in our community because mm -hmm. I feel like we really <laughs> reached that next level of like, yes, I'm a scientist. I believe in science. I believe in things logical, but I also accept that there's lots of things I don't understand. Yeah. And that's that's for me is the ultimate science too. You know, it's like we might find some things, but we will probably never fully understand. And you know, acknowledging and and I feel like if more medical doctors and even researchers would be like that, we would be in a much better world because we would have more of like this confidence in what someone else says and what they feel and we had this talk recently with my daughter about pain um, and she she was saying to one of her friends that she, I don't know, I don't know if she had a side stitch or something. She, she was in pain and the, the her friends were like, you're faking. And she came home and she was really annoyed. And I was like, listen, Nina, you know how they measure pain in a hospital? They actually ask the person to tell them between zero and 10, what's the worst pain? And I'm like, no one, even at a hospital can tell someone what pain they're feeling because it's super unique to everyone. Yeah. And I was like, you should never trust someone to tell you what you feel, whether it's physical or mental. But um, I really wanted to illustrate that. And, and I feel like we're still doing that. Like, and with moms, even worse. I mean, it's like, oh, no, you're complaining for nothing. You know, you decided oh. to be a mom, so stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so normal to feel so tired. <laughs> um, no, it's not. <laughs> exactly. I really hate that. I feel like, you know, you might choose to have a baby 
but, you know, we're still going to have moments to vent and we need to unload. I hate that whole, you know, you can't complain, you chose this, like buckle up, deal with it. Um, Absolutely. That's yeah. really sure play there. God, but, that's um, a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I know, trigger, sorry, trigger, yeah, trigger, trigger in my head. <laughs> All right, know, so then let's go back to sleep. And um, let's go back to the sleep. So have you, for a yeah. six-month-old, I would say one of the most important is this. So like, do you feel like something might be wrong? Is it really systematic? Um, as you were saying, like, uh, I remember watching my daughter on the camera and she had these weird movements sometimes and it was mm -hmm. gas. Like, and it was, I could detect the movement that she would do when, you know, she was really gassy. Um, and then we really also have to be like, oh, okay, I'm not mad because you woke up because you had a reason to wake up, you know, and mm -hmm. this is also really helpful for. So the next thing I always like to recommend, and again, I want to be really careful with depending on how sensitive your child is, what preference they have. But I still believe that um, again, diversity is really good. So if you can help your child to sleep in a variety of different ways, I feel like it's always an open door to do some other changes. So that's one thing that I would do between zero and six months is like, if you can try different things like sleep in their own surface, sleep in your bed, sleep in your arms, sleep in a career, sleep in the car, whatever. The more diversity there is, I feel like the more it's easy to then say, okay, like right now something's not working. I want to change it. And the baby might be a bit more open to be like, oh, I have tried different things. Okay. I'm happy to try another thing. And again, of course, some, some babies will be more reluctant and that's completely mm -hmm. okay. On the other side, if your baby really sleeps like shit and breastfeeding is your life savior and you want to do it systematically, just do it. There's really no problem with that. We just have to be realistic that uh, the, the learning of something else and another method of sleeping will happen. It might take a little bit more time because your baby's really not used to it. And that's completely fine. And again, I don't want to create a problem where there's no problem. So like if breastfeeding for the first year uh, systematically at every sleep works for you, you're not bothered, then go for it. And then if after first year, you're like, okay, now it's time for change. Let's, let's, let's do that. Let's think about something. And so from around six months, seven months, sometimes a little bit later, and here again, I want to be, you know, realistic. Like, I know that um, when I, I wanted to start working out again, there were periods that were just not the right time, right? Um, mm. For our babies, it's the same. So if you want to implement some change and you try and it's just not working. Like it's just, it can be a sleep progression, development progression, whatever. There's just sometimes it's just not the right time. And that's true for the mom and the baby. Like I, I always want to be like, you need to be in a good shape. You need to be in a good mood. You need to be confident when you want to do some changes. You need to believe in it. You really need to believe in it. I was talking to another mom this week and she was like, so, um, you know, I always started to to separate for the first part of the of the of the night and then I take my baby at the end of the night, which you might hear. It's pretty common. She's like, is that about a bad habit? And I'm like, 
Oh, it, it works. It works for you. You want to sleep a little longer from 5 a.m. It's completely fine. And I was like, the thing is why this works for you is because you believe in it, too. It's mm. like when um, a mom starts to do some change and is doubting herself or like, and that's true. I'm pretty sure that's also one of the huge problems with, with sleep training because it's so like, you know, tick boxes, but you, you're like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this a lot of the time. Um, and it but- doesn't feel right most of the time. Like you've got that internal struggle. I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. But if the mom is doubting herself, it's like, am I doing this right? Is this okay? Yeah. The baby's going to be like, what is going on? Like, are yeah. you taking care of me right now? I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because they pick up on all of that. Like I remember like, oh God, we did that classic, like, um, you know, put her down in the cot and then, like, you know, say goodnight and then come back out and then, you know, wait it. Like, as soon as, she, if she starts crying, you need to, like, wait a minute, then you can go in, do the pat, pat, oh, God, what was it? It was, like, pat, pat, like, roll type thing. Oh, God, it's, like, I feel like I've tucked it away into that trauma center of my brain. But it was one minute in, one minute out. And the whole time I'm just like internally going, what the F is going on here? And I remember the woman saying to me, you need to walk in there with confidence because as soon as you don't, they will know and it will it will be 10 times worse for you. I mean, it was catastrophic as it was. <laughs> anyway. But it's so true. They can they can sense the fear and the lack of confidence as you're like doing anything. But I remember um, on that point, Laura, someone who was it? I think it was like a psychologist or something. But they said they said one of the number one number one pieces of advice I give parents is even if you don't really know how to solve a problem, like if your kid comes to you and says you know, whatever it is, you know, Johnny's bullying me in the playground or like whatever it is, don't (laughs) ever say I don't know what to do because you are their North Star, right? And so as soon as you falter, they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) If anyone's supposed to know what to do, it's you. And so the classic line is if you don't know what to do, just say. Tell me more. Wait. We're going, yeah, tell me, tell me more, tell me more yeah. while you kind of, you know, work out something in your head. But also like, I'm not sure what the answer is right now, but we can work together to work out a solution. And so you're just going to have to simmer on it because yes, they do that. Like, as I said, you are their North Star. If they, if you falter, I just feel like it's a slippery slope from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so I also feel like maybe, you know, some of the methods of, let's say, gentle sleep training, as they call it, even though I don't think right, there's right. a... <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> what exactly. is that exactly? It sounds like a bit of an oxymoron to me. I'm just like, I mean, that's what it was sold to us as, um, gentle sleep training, right, right, even though right. they were um, ex-Masada people, which um, I'm not sure if you know about Masada in Melbourne, but it's pretty regimented. Um, Yeah, it's pretty full on. So, Right. 
So, so yes. <laughs> so and so that's that's really important for me for parents to remember. And that also goes into the like what we said at the very end of part one. Thank God I listened to it. <laughs> like <laughs> I said every family has their unique solutions. And so sometimes a family will come to me and have certain ways of doing things. And I'll be like, I don't need to understand. I really don't need to understand. Unless you're harming your child physically or mentally, I don't care what you're doing if it's working for you. And so when we really go into this and the parent is confident and finds, you know, their own way of doing things, that's where some magic can happen literally mm-hmm. so next and here we're we're gonna go a bit more in a in a case study um, mom I worked with recently <clears throat> but we talked about it a little bit again in part one but everything to do with the the nervous system dialing down mm-hmm. calming down and really focusing on your child being calm and not sleepy but the emotional regulation and co-regulation that is necessary that first year is massive right that's Mm -hmm. really one of the most important thing and if we want our child to be in a calm mode in a rest mode to be able to sleep we really need to accept all of their emotions and let them have all their emotions and not be mad all the time at their emotions. And so one uh, uh, nine-month-old recently, and, and that was really incredible. I, and again, it's it's really fascinating. I want to do a case study, but they're all so different, right? <laughs> but this mom, she told me, uh, we were talking about that, and I was telling her how to really support the emotions. Uh, one thing to remember is that independent self-regulation usually starts around seven years old, right? So it's Mm, like, come on, uh, don't expect your under one year old to self-settle. Sorry. Don't expect your under one year old to self-settle, self-soothe, whatever the term they're using at the moment. It ain't happening. But when you're able to really accept the emotion of the child without diverting it, without distracting them, And lately, really, my method is even for older children is like, don't try to understand why we really do not care why. If you're really there and you can just tell your child, I can see you're having a hard time and I'm there for you. Mm -hmm. Simple, the most simple, basic, let them have their tantrum, let them have their emotions be there until they need to come come to you. You know, of mm-hmm. course, keep them safe as much mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. if they're banging around or whatever. But this this is really for me the most magical thing for sleep, and it's true for really young young children as well. So with this mom, she was trying to really cuddle her child when they're having a, a, like an emotional outburst, and and keep them around like that. And so I was like, you know what? let her have it. And so she, she started describing to me and she said, okay, so when she's unhappy, I will, you know, let her out of my arms safely. And then she'll have her moment. But that recently, suddenly the child's like, oh, wait, I'm going to come back now. You know, I want to, I want to have this cuddle. And so what's really interesting is when we started working together she was really hoping for more help from more support because the child was really turning to mom all the time and Mm. no one else and she told me that with this this 
kind of realization of her child of like, okay, I'm unwell. I'm having all my emotions. I actually want the cuddle. I actually want the contact with mom again. That the child suddenly realized the power of a cuddle and that she was really not a cuddly person, a cuddly baby. And that after that, she started asking cuddles from other people as well. So ah. Like from dad, from grandparents, and that suddenly there was this, this awareness of like how it can help her, how she may need it, this unconscious realization of what it does for her body. And that's what we talked about in the first episode, you know, like creating this path of like dialed up, dialed down, dialed up, mm -hmm. dialed down. And that eventually mm -hmm. when she's older, you know, she might be able to dial down on her own, but already there is this somehow awareness of like, it feels good to be dialed down. There are ways yeah. I can get dialed down and I can rely on several people. And this was, the, I, th I thought that was incredible. I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, this, the, again, this emotional support, this full empathy, patience really helped the child be more in tune with themselves. Mm, absolutely. And not, as you said, not as an instinct, just like smothering them with, with the cuddle and like it's not what they wanted I find that with Eva and we started practicing it probably when she was around two because Mika will know that I <laughs> immediately researched and found Dan Siegel's um, whole brain child book and it revolutionized my world because Eva had a huge you know emotional outburst one evening and I was solo parenting and it scared the absolute shit out of me mostly like I was sad that she was having this like emotional outburst but mostly it was because I didn't know what to do and I was like oh my god I am not equipped right now what am I like what is going to help her best in this scenario and it's exactly what you just outlined Laura it's about you know letting them feel and work through those emotions because they have to because if you squash those give you the tip mate they're coming out some other way. Like you cannot do that to your kid. And also it's if she's having like her moment, it's we never leave her alone. Like she is, Eva is not, she does not want to be touched or spoken to or anything like that when the outburst is happening. But I just, like, normally she, like, you know, if something happens, she's five now. So if something happens, she'll, like, run to her room and she'll, like, dive under the covers of her bed and, like, they'll be crying and everything. And I will just walk calmly to her room and I will sit in the corner of her room. I don't necessarily make eye contact because that bothers her. But I just say to her, I hear you. I understand that you are having a really hard time right now. And when you are ready, I'm here and we will have a cuddle. And sometimes she screams at me like it is just fury that is coming out of her mouth. I don't want you in here. Get away. And I'm like, I hear, like I just keep saying the same thing. I hear you, sweetheart, but I need to make sure that you're safe and that I'm going to sit right here. I'm not coming near you. And just when you're ready. And I have just found that like, you know, as you said, they can't self-regulate. You need to be there with them and know that you are their safe space and that when they're ready, which happens quite quickly for Eva, she's able to like dial down, I think, much quicker when there's someone in the room with her 
um, knowing that she's being supported. And I think, you know, that would obviously ring true with like a six, nine-month-old or, you know, something like that, picking them up and going, you're really safe, it's okay. Like, let it all out. <laughs> Sometimes we just have shitty days, we need to let it all out. I know, and I think I'm such a big fan of that book too, Renee. Onto it, it is the Bible. I've got the next one now, um, the discipline one, which is about teaching, not yeah. traditional what people think discipline is. But I think there's two things here that I I think are happening is that you know typically mums in society expect babies yes. and their children to be happy, to just be happy. And I think when you know when you want them to be happy, that means you don't want them to be sad angry upset all these other things they cannot be those other things because you want them to be happy and healthy above all else and I think we need to reframe that into you know I know for me now Mm -hmm. my kids to be emotionally resilient that's what I want so they can handle those big emotions but I think when they're not happy and you just expect them to be happy go lucky it's a bit of a shock and the other thing I think that's going on is often Mm -hmm. like that's not the way that we were raised and I think particularly as women we were taught to be happy and good girls, and this is definitely a conversation for another day. I'm not trying to derail again, but I think when you are holding space for your child to have these big feelings, and if that space wasn't yeah. held for you to do the same, that can feel like a real disconnect and it can be really draining and emotional. And I think there's a lot to learn in there. And I think, you know, we're always wanting to parent and give our kids maybe what we didn't have, but I think understanding that, and that's such a great book helped me just reframe everything with our kids and for myself as well but I just think that's something to be aware of in there too and to be really kind and gentle and then you know if that was you and you weren't able to express your emotions they weren't welcomed or encouraged growing up and you're doing that now for your child like it's a beautiful thing but that will that will cost you to do that so you need to like up your self-care and look after yourself as you're parenting your child in the way that you they deserve and the way that you deserve. I don't think it's derailing at all. I think it's such a valid point, Mika, because it is like you're building, like, you know, with sleep, you're using that as a foundational tool and you're teaching your baby, well, this is what just what I think. <laughs> tell me tell me if this is kind of part of your practice, Laura, but I would think so based on what I know you. It's around the fact that, like, you know, the only way that a baby can communicate is through crying. Typically, like to let you know that there's something not right, that they're not quote unquote happy about a situation. So, you know, that typically comes with sleeping. They've been woken up and it's not long enough and they've cried or, you know, whatever's happening. And so to be able to support them through that, you are building the foundation there. You are connecting. And as you said in the part one, building those pathways of, um, action reaction this is the behavior this is the expectation and all children thrive off knowing what is going to happen next like oh my god the amount of times <laughs> that Eva wakes up in one and goes so what are we doing today mum and she needs to know like I know that that's in her like little psyche like she needs to know what's about to happen I want to know, Laura, in terms of like we've spoken a lot about mums and like things like that, I would love to know how in your practice like you integrate the partner. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Because obviously like and as you said, you know, um, a mum's got to go in and believe in what she's doing. 
how do you kind of, um, I guess, structure your practice and conversations around the partner supporting the mother? Because that's what I found so incredibly difficult. Like I was just like, oh, my God. And I know, for example, like women who really wanted to breastfeed but it became so challenging through the night that they were just unable to sustain it because of the frequent waking and things like that and they didn't feel supported. And actually there was another scenario where, and this really broke my heart, this mum really wanted to be at home and start implementing changes with sleep, but her she didn't feel that she was supported enough by her partner who was going to be there. So she ended up picking herself up with her child and going to an extremely regimented sleep training. Like, and it was, it was sleep training. Like, you know, they give the mum like a sleeping tablet and they pretty much take your child and they're like, right, we'll sort them out type of scenario. Because... Her argument was, well, I'll be supported there. So I'm wondering, like, in your practice, what are the types of things that you offer or suggest or recommend to partners when they are, like, you would hope that it's a team effort in terms of making changes for, you know, your child. Um, But, you know, perhaps there's scenarios where, it's a mum, she's a solo mum by choice, you know. Are you recommending people come in and, you know, she gets her village organised so that she's got support there? What does that look like? Right. So I'll just go back one minute to Mika's comment because it was the next step of this emotional regulation tip that I was Mm. saying, which is the mom self-care. And it kind of, that like bleeds into what you're saying as well. Yeah. Like you need... Like in order to survive another human being's emotional needs, you need to support your own, whether it's finding out what why it's triggering you so bad in your own childhood and why you didn't get any of the validation you need and you don't know how to validate yourself as an adult and now you need to validate your own child you don't know how to do, um, whether it's, you know... Uh, for me right now, it is reclaiming my own identity. I have green hair. I really want to feel <laughs> like me again, you know, like whatever self-care, you know, shows in so many different ways. I would like if moms can have five, 15 minutes minimum just to themselves every day, even with a newborn, that would be really optimal just to be like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a separate entity, even if my baby doesn't know that yet, I I exist separately. Um, So it's really important because again, like when we talk about mother rage, the problem is that we're, you know, you're the fill your cup, ladies. Mm -hmm. Um, Your cup is not filled, you're on empty. And then how can you, you know, how can you support someone else plus yourself? Of course, you're going to start you know, losing your shit. Um, So the self-care is so, so, so important. It's really hard because sometimes I'll have moms who live in the countryside who are the sole supporter financially of their families, the sole caregiver. And it's just like, I don't know how to help you. Like, and, Mm -hmm. and there are those cases where it's like, there's, you know, you need help 
Like literally you need help. And I, so it's really hard. And so here I really want moms to know sometimes it's just not feasible. And so if you are breastfeeding and it makes your life easy, don't start to be like, I need to put my child in a different room. Maybe that's not the easy step. It's not realistic for you too. It matters. Like it matters to be like, is this the right time to do this? Am I going to have to wake up even more? Am I going to have to change room to go feed my baby? Am I going to start to have to prepare a bottle in the middle of the night? You know, all these kind of things. So this is really, really important to be like, okay, we can make a plan. It's okay to make a plan. Even if the milestone is not, not met of like my baby needed to be in their own crib at six months old, I don't care. Like I really mm-hmm. don't care as long as they're safe. So, and with the partner, it really, so I wish, I wish <laughs> um, all families were like that one family that I met who they didn't even just have a pregnancy plan. They had a conception plan. I had never heard about that before. Like they started talking about becoming a parent before even trying. And how would that look like? What would their pregnancy, their birth, their parenting look like? We need mm-hmm. to talk about that. Like I, I, I feel like we're really gambling our lives when we get a partner and we're like, Oh yeah, we're going to have the same views. And then it's just like, oh, you don't want me to breastfeed. Oh, you want to sleep train. Oh my goodness. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. So I think we need to, we need to talk more. Like we really need to. Uh, so that's like more like relationship. Like it's really complicated because talking about all of that, where you're in the midst of sleep deprivation is hard to, to agree on parenting roles and stuff like that. But If you do have a partner who eventually understands, I think it's hard because sometimes we have to nurture them as if they're our second child. Um, (laughs) So again, it's going to be like, (laughs) again, it's going to be like, what energy do you have right now? Do you have enough energy to also support your partner to have more understanding to slowly gain the confidence to, you know, it's really like a balance of like, do you have time to focus on your baby, on yourself and at that or not? But if you Mm -hmm. have a partner who's willing, the first thing for me is going to build this connection, this attachment that maybe they don't have yet, because we have to remember that sleep is the most it's the scariest thing. It's the, the the absolute separation, whether it is you're on a different sleep surface, but also your consciousness, right? They're, the babies can feel like they're separated. So um, they will not entrust anyone to take care of them for sleep. That is not going to happen. You need to have this bond and this trust with the caregiver, whoever that is. If Again, and I think I said that in the first episode at the end, like if you can have a nanny, your family, your friends, whoever ha- have more caregivers in your village, do. I'm, I'm, uh, and, and those people can gain your child's trust little by little if they spend more time with them. Like yesterday, I was hanging out with one of my best friends who's leaving Japan and her little one is autistic. And it took a lot of time for him to trust me. But now we have this bond and, and I don't see him that often, but he knows who I am and he will mm-hmm. come to me. And it's, it's fascinating to me because. I never had experience with autism before. And, you know, you see it maybe on TV and you're like, oh, my goodness. And and then when 
when they give you their trust and you're like, oh, I can handle this. And again, I'm with him even more. I'm on, on my instinct. I'm like, okay, I feel like, and so yesterday I had to hold him while her mom was giving the keys to the apartment and we were just outside in the rain and I could see that that was calming him. So I was like, okay, let's talk about the rain and, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. But I know I'm one of his caregiver. I know he trusts me and I, I can care for him as well. And this takes time and it's normal. And so we shouldn't be, you know, and, and dads or partners shouldn't be guilted because the bond is not there yet. It's okay. It's fine. It, it can build, you know, their brain, their brain and the baby's brain is plastic, just needs to kind of synchronize. And so mm -hmm. here we're really going to be like, okay, we need to have this quality time every day, even if it's just five minutes, it needs to be this one-on-one -on -one moment Again, we're going to focus on something that both the baby and the dad likes to do, because if you start forcing them into doing something they don't like, this is not going to work for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, so bonding, playing, 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 playing. I can't stress enough the importance of playing because everything also kind of settles through play. And then we're going to the next step, right? Little by little, we're going to be like, okay, so now can that be a part of the bedtime routine? It doesn't mean like, okay, I give you the baby, go, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. mom is doing a part that is there as well. And then can dad do this while mom is next to it? And then can we do all this routine all together? Can dad do the whole routine with mom next to him? And then eventually can mom leave and do something else? Can we practice for naps? Because again, it's less challenging during the day than it is during the night because emotions are not as crazy after a whole day. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of little things we can do there. And again, is the dad working from home? Can he spend a little bit of time during the day? is it going to be more on the weekend there's so much adjusting to do there oh yeah totally I'm still in charge of the bedtime routine and I occasionally get a hall pass if I've got like an evening meeting or something like that on or I've gone out for dinner but it was a serious struggle and it still is like uh, like my daughter is just she's a barnacle <laughs> Like she's just on me all the time. She just needs to be around me and, and things like that. And we didn't we didn't do very well in terms of the practicing part because it just got so hard. And then I think, you know, during COVID, two years in Melbourne, I wasn't going anywhere anyway. So <laughs> like it just kind of is what it is. Oh, uh, Laura, I'm mindful of our time. So I feel like <laughs> I think I, we're gonna I have to go for a part three for toddlers but I feel like all of the topics that we have spoken about today I think nothing has been derailed I think they all integrate they, so beautifully yeah, it matches with, with I mean the thing it. is the 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 basis for babies is gonna be the same basis for toddlers mm. um, and then for toddlers we're gonna have more of like involving them making really kind of um personalizing so like uh with a a little one who was bed sharing with their mom for three years exclusively bed sharing i i still cannot believe it like mm. within less than a month the baby the baby the child was sleeping in their bedroom separate and even falling asleep on their own and the mom couldn't believe it and i couldn't believe it but we really worked again on the play on the i find that with 
especially with older kids, uh, the parents tend to have the bedroom for sleep and nothing else, like, and they never step foot there. And it's like, okay, so you want your child to be there at the most challenging moment of the day, though they hate it during the day. So like, this needs to change. So this is Mm. really, really critical, like having a positive association with their sleep environment. And so even for babies, I will do that. So like play in their sleep surface inside the bed. I know that we say separate, you know, play and sleep for kids. I really don't care for me. It's more important that they like where they are. And so with older kids, we will do that. We will, I don't know, like, um, you know, put stickers on the wall and it's really hard because all of us are such perfectionists. And so (laughs) a few moms that I work with, they're like, yeah, I let them put the stickers and they put them all in one spot. It's so ugly. And I'm like, I feel yeah, I know what you mean. It's terrible but it's their own. They're yep. really proud of it. They yep. associate with it. They're like, this is my spot. This is, I feel safe here. So play in the bed, play in the bedroom, uh, make it really special and, and combine everything, you know, do the one-on-one with mom, with dad, make it something that they want to. So with a lot of moms, I have to have more play in the bedtime routine so that, you know, mm-hmm. the child is actually looking forward to bedtime and not being like, oh, I hate this. I don't want to. I know I'm going to be separate. Yeah, I think this is in a nutshell, but we can talk. About it. <laughs> I think I think it would be I think it would be ideal to have another episode on toddlers, because I think, again, it is such a battleground. But in terms of my final comments, I just wanted to say that absolutely play. Uh, I find personally, if there's no play involved during the bedtime routine, for whatever reason, we've run out of time or whatever it is, it just makes things so much harder because play is the connection. It's, It's that feeling of I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm calm because, you know, they've exerted all of this energy. And like, again, I'm not ashamed to say it. My daughter is five. I still sit next to her every single night as she falls asleep because that is what works for us. We do a book. And then at the moment, we've started integrating some either sleep meditation. So it's almost like yoga nidra for kids. And we've also found a beautiful Spotify account called Coco Sleep, which is K-O-K-O Sleep. And it actually sounds like, I haven't Googled it yet, but it sounds almost like a grandma reading a story and it goes for 30 minutes. So it's really quite long. That's got this beautiful tranquil music in the background. And it's about, it's typically about an animal on an adventure and she loves it. And she goes sleep in like 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there still on the bed 20 minutes later listening to this beautiful story. And then I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay. i got to go now. <laughs> I'm out of here. I love that. I think you might reflect on those times oh, when he was yeah. born asleep and here it, and there. Some of the moments of motherhood. Like when you say like even now still, I feel like I just, I think yeah. it's so beautiful to lean into that. Like why do we have to listen why does a five-year-old yeah. have to get themselves to bed, sleep on their own when they can do it in a loving way? Like I just think, yeah, it's um, I don't know, I'm a softy, and I just think, yeah. yeah, this is what kids need. It's what we all need. Like when my partner's not in the bed for a night, I sleep differently, and I'm an yeah. adult, and these are small people. 
It's been amazing, Laura. You just seem <laughs> like a wealth of gold, knowledge. But for me, I think the two little things that have come up is like an awareness of your yeah. sense of control. I feel like that's where so much of this comes from and maybe realising the beauty of not being in control and going with it, which, again, I think we touched on sometimes second time round with knowledge, it's just like you enjoy it more. Um, and then I also think with these babies, when the mums are turning to sleep training or whatever, or sleep help in whatever way it is, you know, like you said, it's often not a problem with the baby. And then we always like to look at the mother and think it's it's her scrambling. She's not supported in whatever way it is that she can't tune into that voice or feel like she's got options or support. Um, and often that's where the problem is, but they're looking externally at the baby and it can really sort of amp up a situation. Um, could be diffused in other ways and it's no one's fault it's just more mums mums care and support and the villages and I love that you're a village like with your friend and his, his son and like that's people do that with my kids it's just like I'm just like you're in like you're just like those friends that make the effort with your kids and I get it not everyone has the time but the beauty in that village is like gorgeous and I love I think you know the topic of neurodiversity is such an interesting one and you know I think your whole slogan this episode being diversity is key. Should, like, I love that. I'm going to use that so much moving forward. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank Thanks, you. Laura. It's been Thanks really so insightful. Any, I know we've done our rapid fire in our, our part one, but was there any other kind of final comments that you wanted to make? And then also, again, let us know how and where we can find you. So um, I was talking about it on another podcast and I, I something I want to create a reel about and I, I feel like it's one of the best tips that I know that I have found accidentally for, for young babies. And, and yeah, anyway, I'm sure you guys can relate. Sometimes you will be watching the camera of your young baby and you're trying to see if they're breathing and you're like trying to see carefully on the camera and you can't see anything. You're like, are they still breathing? Maybe you'll, you'll run in the room. I have found accidentally when my daughter was much, much older that if they're wearing a PJ that has glitter, it reflects in the night camera and you can uh. see the movement of the baby without having to try. And uh, so I'm not talking about, you know, big chunks that they might swallow. Right. But just really yeah. like just glitter, like yeah. glitter PJ, PJs. I want to, I want to trend. I want to trend the <laughs> glitter PJs for all the young babies because I don't want parents to freak out and think about SIDS all the time but also I know that this is like a little peace of mind you know like one thing one less thing to freak out about um yeah and I thought about you know this is this is a little very tiny tip that I that I really liked when I found it out and I was like oh my goodness I wish I knew about it Um, and where you can find me. So um, on Instagram at the moment, I do do not do one-on-one consult. I don't take new new clients right now because I have other things going on. But um, my Instagram, I always try to fill it with as much free information. Um, it's always incredible to me. And I'm sure you, you, you guys must have that too. But when you have this one message where they're like, 
the one post changed their lives. They're like, oh, I feel yeah. so much better. And I'm like, yeah, wow, the good that you can do with just a little bit of information, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of reassurance. Um, so I always try to do that on my Instagram. You can find me there. You can message me. I'll, I'm ho- always happy to to chit chat with all the followers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I didn't awesome. say what it is. Uh, science for <laughs> Uh, just find me you know <laughs> just find laura <laughs> um, she's like yeah. where's wally where's laura <laughs> um, no tell us tell us where are you <laughs> my instagram it's science for all women women uh, plural uh, w-o-m-e-n and everything is linked there so um yeah <laughs> you can find me there <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much again, Laura. And um, this is not going to be the end of our discussion. I know that for a fact. Um, So yes, have a lovely day and thank you again. Thank you. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.